Hi and welcome to a special episode of our Experiencing Consciousness podcast. We are Roxana Erickson, Catherine Rossi, and I'm Jan Dipa. We are so happy you are here. Hi, and welcome to another episode of our podcast. Today, we are here with Dr. Catherine Rossi and Dr. Roxana Erickson-Klein, and we are going forward with our series on addictions, and today's topic is alcohol addiction. So, alcohol addiction it is. Where to start with when we are actually talking about alcohol addiction in terms of our approaches in terms of hypnosis in terms of strategic or non-direct approaches where do we start what's the most important thing i think where we start is 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 it a problem to the individual or is it a problem to their family is is how you really start because if the if it's not a problem with the individual then there's not likely to be a change. And so right. it becomes really important because alcoholism doesn't stand alone. It's within the context, it's within a social context. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent in agreement. And when someone comes with the uh, expressed concern of alcoholism or managing their drinking. I spend a lot of time getting right down to the nuts and bolts. Well, tell me why you're here today. Is this a problem for you? Is it a problem because other family members complain to you about it? Or is it a problem because you're not happy with something that's going on in your life? And I think those key questions right from the get-go are essentially important because if the individual is not feeling like this is problematic for themselves the likelihood of you know change is really minimized okay so i'll ask a question in here right away so if a person comes to you and says you know, answers those questions in such a way that it states, well, mainly my family has a problem with it. Then is it so, is there something you actually do or, you know, what's the strategy from that point on? So you're saying if a family member has a problem or a family member is complaining about the individual that comes in. I would state the second. I mean, so the, so you have a client who states who claims that, well, I came for a ter- for a therapy and I supposed to say that I have a drinking problem, but okay. you know, my 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 like for example, my wife or whoever told me to tell you that I have a drinking problem. Okay. Well, what I do is I skirt around the problem (laughs) and say, um, what do you think that, why do you think that they said that to you? Is, you know, what do you think is bothersome to you? What do you think is worrisome to your family members? 
So, so I respect the statement that's been made and gather the information that's available from the statement that has been made. But then I shift gears to well, what's your perspective on this? You know, do you tell me how you feel? You know, setting those family members aside, you know, what does it mean to you? So, so Catherine, what are, what is your approach into working with these? Well, it's actually a little bit more indirect. And um, I mean, you know how I love to be indirect. And so that's why it naturally occurs to me where it doesn't occur to others. And I would have a tendency to say, oh, well, then, then what, what is your problem? What's more important to you right now than this question about drinking? And um, so shifting them away from it, and I know that they're going to come back within the context of what they're saying about their current problem is going to come back to whatever family member in this case we're talking about a family member that has a problem with it to be able to then weave in the relationship with that person and um and and as they then are going to naturally describe some difficulties with them then to return to well, I wonder if there's a misunderstanding about your use of alcohol, if they misunderstand it or if you misunderstand it. So it becomes, you know, um, um, a, a, a broader perspective. And um, the whole idea is that when a person comes in and they present this problem, but it's a problem from someone else, is how can we make this the most loving exchange of being able to, you know, give and receive these kinds of pieces of information. And ultimately, people who do have drinking problems, they, they, they come around to it to say, well, you know, mm -hmm. I can be excessive from time to time. It's like, well, yeah, how, do, how, how often does that happen? Oh, well, no more than four times a week, you know, I mean, because they'll say it like that, this really calm sort of thing and say, wow, so four out of seven, man, that's like greater than 50% of the time. Do you think that might bother your wife? Do you think that's what she's talking about? You know, so it it it's within the context of, of the relationship of of sometimes the more indirect way. But what I do know is if a person does not consider it a problem for them, then um, it's not it's not worth delving into. And and I'll even say that, well, at this time, you're not seeing it as a problem, you know, after you explore it. Um, and so there may come a time that you do. You know, you may increase, you may decrease, you know, this sort of thing. But there may come a time where you say, you know, this really is problematic. And just know that should that time come, that there's a lot of help out there for this issue. It's really well studied. So, you know, to try to leave the person with questions in their mind 
about themselves and about the the hope of the future. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different. And this is really interesting because there is a lot of going back and forth with direct and indirect. And there is a lot of um, intertwining of the, you know, the social context, the setting, which, you know, hypothetically is what brought them in with their own perspective. And so there, there is that process in gathering information and it exploring the information to, you know, to kind of weave around and weave back and forth. Um, you know, do you consider it a problem? And yet you're certain that they consider it a problem. And I'm curious as to why they consider it a problem. And how certain are you about your behavior? You know, that what is it that you're doing that gives them the impression that, you know, that you have a problem? And it's not unusual in scenarios like this where you find out that even though there is an identified client, that this one that we're pointing the fingers at as the alcoholic in the family is that, you know, at least some of the time, if not much of the time, there is actually family dynamics where more than one people is overindulging in a, you know, in a problematic way. And so to facilitate the client to gain their own picture of that and to make their own observations and to reach their own conclusions and to, as they're doing that, to make definitive choices for themselves. And right now I'm working with a young lady who was pushed into my office because she's you know, they declared she was falling down drunk, you know, way too much of the time at every family gathering. And so so I kind of review the, you know, I review with her, okay, well, tell me from your perspective what happened and, you know, tell me what left them that impression or left them to make those accusations of you and then with this particular client it's like it's a family and it is a professional family it's a high-powered you know family who has influence in the community and very productive very well educated and yet every single family gathering of any kind involves what appears to be or what sounds like the overindulgence of alcohol. And and so I with this particular client that I'm working with right now, I've 
encouraged her to, you know, to challenge herself, just take a step back and go for an evening with maybe just one glass of wine, just make that last the whole evening and make your observations of every other person. And in making those observations, they're A, learning about themselves because how difficult was it to ration myself to one glass of wine? And, and I don't prescribe the one glass of wine. I get them to declare what would be a reasonable amount. So I'm not telling them, you know, what's a reasonable amount. I'm letting the individual decide. But to drink less than they normally or typically drink to position them for better observations of family members. And that process of being able to observe other family members and the dynamics and the routines and the way other people encourage other people to drink more and to come to the recognition, this was one of the most important things to this young lady, she came to the recognition that actually everybody's pointing a finger at her as if she is the problem, but she's just, you know, she is no more of a problem than every other, every single participant that's there. That's really powerful. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So. And, you know, to, to help to create self-awareness. Self so so generally, the whole family was actually involved in a problem, doing the same kind of thing, and only like putting, creating a scape, scapegoat institution or something out of her. Creating a routine where this is mm -hmm. how we have fun together, and one one of the things that you know that I found with people who seek help for alcoholism is that, you know, there's, as we've said, there's a variety of things that bring them into the office. And at least a big part of the time, what brings them into the office is the expressed worries of other family member. But the ability to take a step back and get a better understanding of that whole scenario is usually very, very helpful to the, the um, identified client. Now, for me, who's somebody who's trying to work with them, the this step of, well, why don't you, um, you know, really cut back on your alcohol intake to position you to get a better view of what's going on with, <clears throat> with the other people who are present. That actually is multifaceted in that it gives me um, the, some insight as to their willingness to, you know, to cut back on a, a quote special occasion, um, their ability you know, and sometimes you find if if I make a suggestion like that, some of them is like, 
you know, what I would consider the more difficult, you know, people that have more difficulty, it's like, well, I'm not going to miss an evening of fun. You know, I don't care what they're doing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cheat myself out of an evening of really, you know, getting as free flowing alcohol as I want. Well, that suggests to me that alcoholism is perhaps it isn't definitive, but perhaps it is out of control. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, if somebody, you know, reacts like, gosh, that would be really interesting. And they may not be successful on their first attempt. But if they're willing to explore what it is to be sober or near sober at an event where, you know, where drinking is common, then, then it says to me, this is a person who, you know, actually has the ability to titrate their input in, a, you know, in a healthy way. And maybe they need some coaching, some suggestions, some guidance to do so. But it's but it's different from someone who really can't con you know control how much they're drinking. Yeah, it becomes very interesting that I'm thinking of a couple that I saw a number of years ago, and they came in because he was worried about her drinking, mm -hmm. and uh, and she definitively said, "I am not going to stop drinking." And so it was very interesting and um, got round to the question um, with him is how much drinking is too much? Mm -hmm. And he said, any. Well, and so she was having an occasional glass of wine or two. She was not excessive. And so the problem, so it's very, it's a really interesting. So the problem was actually uh, with him and, and what he wanted in the ideal, in his ideal mind is that she would not drink at all. And uh, what he wanted her to do, <laughs> which I think is really funny, obviously that's why I'm laughing, is that he really loved marijuana. And he could describe to a T every form of marijuana and what it did and, you know, the, 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 all of the terms and this and that. And she was not interested in marijuana. But from time to time, when she went out with a friend, she would have a drink. So they were coming to, I mean, this was, this was like threatening their marriage. You know, I'm saying this was a really serious problem, but they, um, they, and she wasn't critical of his use of marijuana. She wasn't saying it's too much or this sort of thing. She said, oh, well, that's just what he does. Um, uh, but finally he came to terms with the fact that he was actually being pretty hypocritical that uh, to to uh, fault her for having um you know a glass of wine instead of instead of um having marijuana and he came to to terms with the fact that you know 
I I can really see this. She's just she's she's fine. She's just you know being herself, and this is not a problem. And um, as a result of them coming to terms with accepting her for who she is, and she really did hold her ground on this one. She was not going to give up something just because he was demanding it. So um, I learned a lot with this particular case of, you know, being courageous to ask the questions. And, you know, often we don't ask the question, well, what amount is too much? <laughs> or as you observe them, how many glasses are you seeing them have? And if they say, well, one, you know, um, uh, if they say, well, six, it's like, well, six is a lot, isn't it? You know, especially depending on, well, six in any size is a lot. But um, the the willing to be really open and not coming prematurely to a conclusion of is it or is it not alcoholism, I think is really important. So actually, I agree. And, and it can go in the, the, in the opposite direction of people saying that, you know, they only occasionally have, you know, just one or two drinks. And then when you get down to the nuts and bolts of it, it's like, you know, describe to me, you know, the process of you having a drink. And, and sometimes, they, I mean, one, I can think, think of several women who have come in to say that I like having a glass of wine when I prepare dinner in the evening. And there is not, and, and explaining to me, there's nothing wrong with having a glass of wine as I prepare dinner and a second glass of wine as I eat dinner and I'm sitting there thinking, no, I would agree with that unless, you know, unless there's something else going on, that is not a problem. So why are you here? And then it turns out, and this has come up a number of times, is that I black out and wake up in the morning and there is the empty bottle next to me and that's happening three and four times a week. Well then, <laughs> unconscious drinking, isn't it? <laughs> so you know, so then I can respond to him. Well, that's a you know, that's a different story. You're you're right. There's nothing wrong with those first two glasses of wine. The but the issue seems to be on what happens after that, and. From, from my perspective, and I don't mind being opinionated as a therapist, I know, I know some, some therapists think that they should just be a blank slate and never be opinionated, but I am outspoken. I think that if you're drinking to blackout, this represents a problem to me, and I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't. Even if you don't think it's a problem, if you're drinking a blackout, it's, you know, it is what I would consider to be a problem. And that's the feedback that, you know, that, that I am going to offer. And so it's one of the things since I've been working in this area, it's, it's surprising to me how many people 
routinely drink to blackout. And um, they, and often, you know, several times a week, and yet they're still functional. And so and that goes on for a number of years. And there is a tendency to decompensate and go downhill after a number. It isn't, you know, definitive that, it, that that's going to happen. But it certainly is concerning if somebody is drinking to blackout, even if they're able to hold on to their job and they've never had, you know, a run in with the law or even if their family isn't noticing it, it's, it's still what I consider as a health professional, I consider that problematic. Yeah. And sometimes people are willing to work on it and sometimes they aren't. I, I've got a question <laughs> here because from what from what you say, I I I noticed that sometimes you are uh, very direct with these clients on some occasions, and sometimes you are indirect. Same with Dr. Katrin Rossi. So my question is: Is there any rule to that? I mean, you know, uh, to what extent and in what uh, contexts, or with what parts of the therapy, within what parts of the therapy? uh one decides to be more direct with the message and or more indirect to that kind of client it depends i mean that's Re the best way to describe really? it really <laughs> you know it's it's individual according to the client and and thank you roxy i've learned now to ask a new question which is do you ever drink until you're blacked out i've never asked this question and i will in the future thank you that's mm -hmm. a good one um you know, it when it what I say to clients is that if you are walking across a train track and a train is coming, I'm going to yell at you to get off the tracks. You know, I'm 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 going to um, be very very direct along those lines. And so if I'm saying something very direct, if someone were to say to me, "Yes, I black out three times a week." then I would, I would be saying, which is very direct, is then, then you really do need to consider if you're an alcoholic. I'm not calling them an alcoholic, but you really need to consider this. You need to consider what else you want to do in life. You know, what, um, you know, what special things there are to do, the relationships that you have with people that you love of when you can spend more time with them and, you know, and, and where do you want to put alcohol in your life? Or do you think that maybe you should uh, take a break from alcohol? So, which all of that is very, very direct. So it's, it, I would say in terms of um, thinking about the four stage creative cycle, you know, in stage one, it's like, what is the question? So I would not necessarily be direct when it's in the, in the, in the, what is the question when you get into the working through it, depending on if a person is genuinely stuck and they're not moving off into uh, um new ways of looking at things i might then make some direct suggestions about well you know 
I mean, what about this or what about that? You know, where where you're you're still it's in the form of a question, but the questions have a tendency to be a little bit more direct. When it gets into stage three, which is the aha, um, I'm listening carefully to what they what it is that they learn and what it is that they want to do. And then there might be some very direct suggestions there, such as what Roxy said to to the young woman of um, so, uh, you know, what's a reasonable amount of wine to drink at a party and so that you can really carefully observe. And she said one glass. So it's like, okay, then, um, you know, so to be able to help to formulate kind of a plan, which is stage four. So, um, um, and so all along there's opportunities to be direct and to be indirect. And I think a, a good therapist has the ability to do both. But the most important thing is that unless a person is asking for a clinical diagnosis, then it, it's all just a question. But if a person is asking for a clinical diagnosis in this regard, and if they tell me that they black out three times a week and they want a diagnosis, that diagnosis is going to be alcoholism because I don't have a doubt about that when it comes to that. So, you know, so it's like, um, the, what you're asking Jan is really like the process of it. And most of that is, is then how people are receiving it. It can be so comforting to receive something directly. <laughs> it can really be comforting. And um, an element that I think about in working with people like this is that you know, um, when uh, one needs to metabolize alcohol, your your brain isn't working to optimal capacity. In other words, people aren't necessarily in the ability to, to be able to think some of these things through because uh, just because they're not under the influence now, you know, it takes a while for the alcohol to really leave the body and then it's 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 affecting that. And um, so comfort is is important, but also sometimes really having the um, a direct um, a direct way of working. So, like I say, it depends. But I gave you kind of ideas of of how I work through these things. Would you, would so, you add mm -hmm. I agree. It depends. And the um, what I found is that direct, even confrontation, is once you've established a, a trust, obviously you have to get trust going before you're going to be getting honest, you know, unfiltered answers. But but once you've established some degree of trust with the client, it's a lot more efficient to gather information with direct um, questions, with direct. But even those direct suggestions, um, like how much... How much do you think it's reasonable to drink over an evening? And if they say six glasses, then I'm going to respond, oh, you know, I'm not a drinker, which is honest. I'm not a drinker, but six glasses seems like quite a bit to me. 
And so that's an indirect suggestion. And I've lowered myself to the know nothing position. I'm not a drinker. I know nothing. So we're depending on this individual to be the expert. But I've raised the question indirectly that maybe their assessment isn't um, all of the information. Um, now, one of the, there's a few things that I do um, in working with this population. I have a few little gimmicky phrases <laughs> that, that are easy to remember. And, you know, people, you know, got to grasp onto them. And one of them is, that, and I don't even know where it came from, but that old saying that man takes a drink, drink takes a drink, drink takes a man. And by the time, I even have a little graphic of, the, of that, but by the time drink takes a drink, you're you're talking about you know that the alcohol is forcing decisions that weren't made by the individual. Um, now, so there's one little you know gimmicky little saying that I you know tend to throw in. One of the other ones that I tend to throw in in my interactions, and I do it repeatedly, not every session, but you know maybe every fourth or fifth session. But but one of them is um, that the first thing that happens once you take a drink is good judgment just flies right out the window. And so, you know, so you may feel like you're relaxed and everything, but, you know, that, you know, I and I say that as if it's definitive that your judgment is compromised. And uh, I stand by that and I always get respectful you know, attention to that. I just, you know, mention it in passing. That doesn't mean you can't have a drink. It just means that, you know, judgment is went out the window, flew off. <laughs> and the, it, I try to say things like that with a chuckle and a smile and a friendly way and indirectly get their attention to, I wonder what the validity of that statement is. So if you're wanting to, um, to promote change, that, that indirect suggestion is far more effective at promoting change. You may, be, you may be way more efficient in gathering information. You may get more accurate information with direct. But if you're trying to promote change, it essentially has to be indirect because it happens to be the subject's own observation, the subject's own decision, their own willingness and desire to go forward on a different path. It has to be. And isn't that also in, in understanding of bringing the unconscious or subconscious mind to the conscious? Is that you know, so so when the judgment has flown out the window, for instance, and so you want to indirectly wake up the unconscious mind to make it conscious so that that a a habit can be addressed in awareness. So you don't make so, it 
Uh-huh. So one of one of the things that I do with individuals, I don't um as a general rule, I don't even ask them to limit their drinking. I you know, discuss it, I give them the opportunity to. The only time that I ever do is if they have been court ordered, you know, to to remain sober. Mm-hmm. Then I do request that they, you know, comply with their prob- terms of their probation. And then I remind them that that's no alcohol. And I would strongly recommend that you comply with all the terms of your probation, particularly abstinence from alcohol for the duration of these legal proceedings. So I'm not asking for the rest of their life. I'm just saying until these legal proceedings get ironed out, you know, just I'm requesting that they do, you know, abstain from drinking during that interval. But then I also at the same time, I, you know, I do say that relapse happens. And, you know, and what's most important to me is to know what we're working with. So if you relapse, you know, just be honest and we'll we'll get it figured out and we'll work through it. And then I put a little bit of emphasis on, you know, relapse is a very common sequel to somebody who's trying to give up alcohol. You know, relapse, you know, it's very, very common. And it really doesn't even matter if you relapse. What matters is what kind of response you make to the, you know, you can make it into a mountain or a molehill. So if you have one drink and immediately, whoops, that wasn't, you know, <laughs> that wasn't a smart choice. My good judgment went out the window. That wasn't, that. you know, then you, then you can cope with it and you can, you know, redirect yourself. Yes. I mean, and and that's really excellent, because I think that as we're talking about alcoholism and how you work with alcoholism, it really requires a lot of sensitivity Mm -hmm. and um, and that in all that you're describing, Roxy, it's really respecting that client, you know, and and um, um, and that doing this dance between direct and indirect and uh, making the relationship, making the bond and asking for the, the the principles of honesty and also telling them very directly, the court has ordered you to do certain things. And um, I am encouraging you to comply with all of that. And I think that, you know, it becomes really important so that people can, um, it's like contain it. Like, you know, that sometimes you do have to build a fence around something and like, you know, contain it and be able to hold it in your hand. So I think I think it's uh, it's really excellent. You had a question, Jan, I think. I had few, but <laughs> I, um, I'm forgetting about them when you uh, when you go into <laughs> more deeply into the conversation. I've got some more uh, additional questions. And so the the, the last one that I have. The, the the fresh one is um, mm, um so 
we um what what you said is that we need to you know be really kind of attentive i'll say and um empathic empathic towards uh, these people so my natural question would be uh are there any particular special information or things that we need to be really you know uh, attentive to or uh, take care of or you know look for or pay attention to are there any set of guidelines here well one one very common thing is that you know as i said if the alcohol is in the system good judgment does tend to be compromised mm -hmm. so so that's one kind of fundamental principle that you know that is being worked with another you know another basic principle is that you know, if the individual isn't seeking to modify their behaviors, the probability of them modifying their behaviors is really minimal. And the unfortunately, um, it's not uncommon for um, for substance users in general alcohol being one of them, to lie about it to themselves and to others, to minimize. You know, I don't have that much to drink, you know. And so when you're asking questions, you, if you want, you know, if you want to know what you're dealing with, you, you have to be more direct and say, you know, how many drinks did you have, <laughs> you know, for what period of time? And are we talking about the gallon-sized cups or are we talking about the little shot glasses? <laughs> so so you have to be really, you know, specific and, and really direct because there is this natural tendency to minimize and to forget and to, you know, and sometimes to be blatantly dishonest, you know, that that's just part of what I, what I say is that actually that's part of the alcoholic syndrome is to, you know, is to be untruthful about it. But, um, so, so there is another another little gimmick that I've used very successfully that um and I'll tell I'll tell you about it in the context of one of the individuals that I'm working with who it's a he's a young man and he's got a he's got a legal disaster on his hands, so he won't be able to legally approach alcohol for the next several years but in he's from one of these families and he does have good loving family support that gets together every holiday and weekends and this and that everybody else in the family drinks so this is this is problematic because he's got cravings 
he like he was telling me that you know it was somebody's birthday and everybody was enjoying the champagne and oh he wished that he could have some and he he chose not to because he is motivated and you know to get himself through this problem that he found himself in. And so one of the things that that I had said to him is the so his mother is there and his grandmother was there. And his mother and his grandmother each have a glass of wine for dinner every single night. And he says that when we sit down to dinner, I look over at grandma, I look over at mom, and they're enjoying their glass of wine. Sometimes they even have two, and it makes me angry and upset that they know I can't have any, and they know what big problem I've got, this and that. So I gave him the homework assignment that choose one, and he chose his mother, that choose one, notice what time your mom pours her glass of wine, notice how she drinks it, how long it takes her, you know, is she sipping it over an hour, is she guzzling it down within the first five minutes, you know, what's she doing? So notice her behavior, notice if she takes any refills, and notice what what's it doing for her? How is it shifting her behavior? And so he did that. He did that at home, and he came back in the next week because I'm I don't see everybody once a week, but if they've got legal problems, I do see them every week. <laughs> so so he came in the next week, and he said I did the homework, and he he said. You know, he said, my, my mom poured the glass of wine. It was 15 minutes before it went up and touched her lips. And, and I just expressed interest. Oh, and what did you notice after that? You know, tell me, tell me more. Tell me what you noticed. Well, what he noticed was that his mom was just, uh, it sounds like she just wanted to take the tension and the edge and like the flavor, you know, and so she, she turned a glass and a half into an evening long, you know, sipping event. And so when I asked him, you know, the, it, the, you know, what do you think, why do you think the wine is so important to her that she won't just stop? Why do you think it's important? And he says, well, obviously she's just able to, you know, to take it slowly and enjoy the relaxation. And then I looked at him and I said, you never learned to do that, did you? And he said, absolutely not. I would have guzzled it all down the first minute, poured some more and drifted into the deep drop. And I said, oh, well, you know, at some point in the distant future, once we get past all these legal snafus, if you have any interest in you know, revisiting alcohol. That's something to remember. And he just looked at me and he said, I am never having alcohol in my life ever again. It's caused too many problems. <laughs> what a wonderful. Yeah. And I just said, good to know. Really pleased to hear that. <laughs> but, but it, 
by taking this really indirect, circuitous route of the observations that he made and conclusions that he reached, even though I punctuated it, you didn't learn to do that, did you? You know, it did force him into self-reflection and self-awareness, but that's, yeah, that's not, that's not what alcohol was for him. Yeah. And I believe that when you really want to know what about, what is the treatment, it really is self-awareness and self-reflection. Mm -hmm. and, um, and to bring the choice into it. And um, so that's really beautiful that he could observe his mother, but still his resolve was very different than that. And mm -hmm. I, what I wonder is, did he continue to be angry when he would see no. his mother? And that's what I would figure is that that would take away, take away that, that it's not that they were not taking care of him. It's that they were, they were um, able to drink uh, modestly and moderately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that is the, the self-reflection and the self-awareness. Mm -hmm. so that you can make a choice about what you're doing. And, um, you know, I think that um, that really sums it up. That's true. Well, and I... it, it mm -hmm. really, the, one of the most important things is to, the, you know, in the therapeutic setting is to, I think of it as coaxing people to be more honest with themselves because there is a natural tendency to minimize, there is a natural tendency towards denial, there is a natural tendency towards, you know, lack of awareness. And if you can coax them into self-honesty and coax them into more reflection and self-awareness that, you know, a lot of times these things just find their own new direction. That's a great summary. Um, we we did quite a lot on this episode, although I have one uh, question, one more question in mind, and I'll ask you the question, and so we decide if we if if it's just a simple answer that it's needed here, or do we want to do a separate episode on that subject because. I've got one thing lacking here, which which is the role of hypnosis and how to use hypnosis in the treatment of alcohol abuse. Is that something that we need to address now or is it a topic for another episode? I think that's a topic for another episode. I would agree. I would yeah. agree. So I thought so. Thank you very much for today. Thank you very much for this outstanding episode and see you next time. This was another episode of our Experiencing Consciousness podcast. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jan. You're the best. Be well, be happy, celebrate life.